Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for being here today. We're really glad to be back and able to worship God with you together again. You might notice a little bit something different about my voice uh, than normal, and that is because I have had a cold all week, Um, but I've tested multiple times. It is not COVID, at least that's what all the tests say, and so if you see me around, I'll be wearing a mask and keeping my distance from people. And uh, as you know, we're doing a lot of panel discussions uh, during this series, and so I asked our panel what they thought about it, and they don't mind me not wearing a mask while I'm up here with them. Um, Hopefully, I'm on the last day of it, but it's still kind of affecting the voice and everything, and I'm I'm wearing this when I'm around, so just want you to know what that is all about. Uh, But it is great to be back with you, and I wanna say welcome to everybody that's watching online right now as well. Thank you for joining us. I was just looking on the uh, backstage, looking at all the ways people can watch online. There's a ton of people watching online right now, so thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you in person back again as soon as you're able to, Um, but thanks to all of you for being here, and what a great job our worship team did this morning, too, leading us in worship. Can we just thank them for a moment for everything they do? Man, they put a ton of work into this, and, uh, and they're here early on Sunday morning to go through everything, and they rehearse most Wednesday nights, and they do a lot of prep work to make sure that they can just excellently bring you before the throne of God and lead you in worship. So I hope that you enjoy that and appreciate that, and that, that you're not just listening to them worship God, but you're actually joining with them in praising our Heavenly Father together. As you know, we're in this series called People Are Asking. We've asked you to give us questions. You gave us a lot of questions, and we worked through and picked some of the more popular ones to be able to put into this series. Of course, we can't include everything in the series, so there are a lot of questions that will not be answered during this time, and and I'm not necessarily even saying we're gonna be able to answer everything. We're gonna try to give you information as best as we can and help give guidance, but there may be things where you walk away with more questions or there are questions that were not answered. For some of those that submitted questions, which we're not going to answer in this series, I've already sent resources on books and and materials and places you can go to get some of those answers. Um, And for other people, if you've got other questions or things you'd like to know more about, I just want to let you know that I'm always happy to get email from you at pastor.efree.org with anything that you might have a question about. So um, if there's something that you want to dig into from today's message or another question that you have about the Bible or something, I may not always know the answer, but I can usually at least point you in the right direction and get you started or point you to someone who may have the answer. So feel free to email at pastor.efree.org. We'd love to hear from you. And sometimes people just send me a question about what they read in the Bible that morning. That's, that's great too. That's no problem at all. Today's question that we're going to look at uh, in, a, in a mercifully short message for me, because my throat is all messed up from the, the week, is, um, is a tough one. It's a really, really challenging one. And it's how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? That's a really difficult question. So before we go any further, I just want us all to take a moment wherever you're at, whether you're watching online or here in the room, and just bow your head, heads with us and let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom and give us some understanding um, as we dive into this question together. Heavenly Father, this is a really, really difficult question to even attempt to answer. And I'm not sure we can fully even understand all the nuances of it, Lord. But I pray that you would help us to trust in you despite all of the the difficulties and the doubts and the confusion that may arise from some of the the mysteries of of this world and this life that you've created that we don't always understand fully. Um, And especially for those people that we know in our life, our family, our friends, who may struggle with this question, may use this as uh, as a reason why not to believe in God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to maybe understand some things in a fresh perspective today 
so that we can either help have a better answer to this question ourselves uh, for ourselves today or have a better way to answer those who may be asking this question around us or may in the, in the future, Lord. And most of all, we just pray that our time today glorifies you and helps us to grow closer to you and learn more about you and how you work in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So how can a loving God send people to hell? That's a really tough question to answer. If you've ever stopped to think about the reality of eternal punishment and, and what that means, and if that is difficult for you, if that's a challenge for you to really think through, I, I think that's actually a good thing. That shows compassion, that shows care for people that sometimes our gut reaction is, oh my goodness, how, how could that happen? I mean, why, why would that have to happen if God is love? And people will ask this question. If you've, if you've ever thought about this, it's probably because you've thought of someone that you knew that was a good person and from your perspective, and they passed away. And it's hard to think about that good person who passed away but never trusted in Jesus, as far as you know. They never put their faith in Jesus, and so now you're wrestling with that reality. And, and I've you know, been at, at funerals in the past where it's this difficult question of, man, I don't think they ever trusted in Jesus, but I love them. So how could God send that person to hell? And that's often how this question is phrased and why it is asked and it's used sometimes as a way to say, well, I'm not gonna believe in God, I'm not gonna follow God, I'm not gonna obey a God who says he is love and loving, and at the same time, he would send that person that I love to hell just because they didn't believe in Jesus. How can that be possible? And that's the question we wanna look at today. Why would you, why would you wanna follow a God or believe in a God that would have that kind of place of eternal punishment for people just because they don't do a certain thing that he says? So I, I, there are a couple problems with the way the question is often worded, and I want to dig into those a little bit right at the beginning because this is going to be essential to understand the answer to the question. We have to actually do the question a little bit differently. Sometimes when we ask questions, we ask it in a way that, that doesn't actually make sense because we're, we're missing key bits of information or misinterpreting or misunderstanding, and so we're actually asking the wrong question. I want to tweak that a little bit. There's two things in this question that I want to talk about. And, and so our question is, how could a loving God send people to hell? The two things I want to highlight are loving and send. Loving and send. we got to talk about what each of those mean and what they mean from the Bible, because that's where our source of knowledge about God comes from. So we're really talking about God and his actions here. And if he's loving, but he sends people to hell, how can that be? The idea that God is loving comes from the Bible, of course. That's where we get our information about God. But the Bible does not just say that God is loving. The Bible says that God is love. Look at 1 John 4, verse 16. 1 John 4, 16 says, we know how much God loves us, so he's loving, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. God is love. Not just that God is loving, but God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. See, the claim of the Bible is not just that God is a loving God, but that God is love, and that means something different. If he is love, then that means our very concept of what is loving and what is not loving comes from who God is. And if there's something that God does that to us seems like it's unloving, but he is love, that means it must be love and we just don't understand it. If God is love, that means he gets to define what is loving and what isn't loving. And so our, our very understanding based on that question of how could a loving God send someone to hell implies that we think that's an unloving thing to do, but, but maybe it's not. Because if God is love, if he is the source of our understanding about what love is, that has to change our understanding of this question. There are things 
that you love and find lovable and, and a good thing to love that God may not love. You may cheat on your taxes. You might love doing that. You might love spreading rumors. You might love getting back at people who hurt you. You might love all kinds of things and think that that's a good thing for you to love and you enjoy doing it. And yet God says, no, that's not my idea of love at all. There are things that we think are love that aren't love. And so that might be the case here. God says in Isaiah chapter 55, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, for us to think that we get to decide what is loving and what is not loving, to say that for God, for you to send people to hell, that's unloving. To think that we even get to decide that is to ignore the fact that God's operating on a completely different level from us. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. We cannot understand. We cannot comprehend everything that he does. And, and if we could, then, then maybe we should be God instead of him. See, he's got to be bigger than we understand. And so because of that, because his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher, then he may understand what is love and what isn't love on a completely different level than we do. And so it's hard to bring our logic and our understanding and put that over God and say, well, I get to decide. And God, that doesn't seem very loving to me, so I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to believe you. But if what the Bible says is true, that God is love, then he gets to define it. And that his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher than ours, then we have to approach with humility and not arrogance and say, you know what? God gets to decide what's loving and what's not loving, not just me. So we have to understand that about loving. You know, when I tell my two-year-old not to touch a hot pan on the stove. We have a cast iron skillet, and a lot of mornings I'm making breakfast for everybody as we're getting all ready, and she likes to climb up there on a stool and, and get as close as possible and hold the pan and, and use the spatula to scrape eggs and stuff around. But if she reaches out for that pan and it's already really hot, I'm gonna tell her no. And then she's gonna look at me with a scowl and say, how dare you? Who do you think you are stopping me? I want to do that right now. How unloving of you, Dad, for you not to let me touch that hot pan. But see, I know better than her. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. And that's how I think about God. His ways are higher. His thoughts are, are higher. And so there may be things that I think are loving or not loving. And God says the reverse. And I go, huh? But I have to accept that because he's operating on a completely different level than I am. What she thinks is, what my two-year-old thinks is loving, I may know is not loving and vice versa. So we have to give that same kind of, of privilege to God as well. God is love. So he gets to define what love is. And one of the things that God loves, this is a hard thing to accept, but one of the things that God loves is justice. Yes, God is love, but, but God also loves justice. Deuteronomy 32, three through four says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. See, God doesn't just love justice. His very nature is, is where justice comes from. It's why all of us have a, a sense of right and wrong. When we've been wronged by someone, we, we think it's terrible. When we see someone else wronged, we want justice to occur. There's this universal sense of justice that all people have because we all come from a God who is just. He doesn't change his mind all the time. He doesn't manipulate humans in some sort of weird way. He doesn't do things that are unfair. That's the gods of the Greek mythology and Roman mythology that did all of that. But that's not God. 
God is just and fair, and he loves justice, and everything he does is just and fair. You know, whenever there's a, a horrible crime that happens, which unfortunately seems to be all the time, and we all find out about it because of the media and, and our technology today, and so we all know very quickly when there's a horrible crime that happens, especially if that crime involves children. Like I remember some of the, the mass killings of children and hearing about the perpetrator who came in and how he, how he faked his way in and he said some things that weren't true so that he could get in and then he continued to, to slaughter kids. I mean, it's just terrible, it's horrible. And, and when you hear about those things, doesn't a part of you just well up with like anger? And you want justice for that person. You think, man, they have been horribly wrong here. This needs to be punished. We can't bring those kids back, but we can punish the one who did it because he deserves it, because he deserves justice. But if you were to go talk to some of the neighbors of those perpetrators, those abusers, those killers, what do they often say? Seemed like a nice guy to me. One time, you know, he's a little awkward, but he helped me out with my car one time. And, you know, if you were to go to one of those people before their crimes were discovered and go to one of their neighbors and say, do you think this person should be judged? Do you think they should get some kind of punishment? Oftentimes the neighbors would be like, oh, no, I don't think so. He waves at me every morning, says hi. Seems like a, you know, little, little odd guy, but never done anything bad to me. They, of course he doesn't deserve judgment. But after you reveal the crimes, then everything changes. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he would, he would take those actions, and so we want justice, and rightly so. Here's the thing. The difference between the first scenario and the second scenario is not whether or not he deserved justice, but it's whether or not we knew why he deserved justice, and that is a core part of our problem with this question. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, we read this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You think you know how good a person is? You have no idea. He goes on in verse 10, but I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Remember, everything God does is just and fair. See, we have no idea what goes on inside the hearts and minds of people, and we look at them and think, what a good person. We have no idea what wickedness and evil could be in their heart. Usually when we ask this question of how a loving God could send people to hell, we have in the back of our mind these people that we think are good, and they seem good to us, but we can't see into their hearts. We don't see the secret motives and the intentions and the thoughts like God does. Some people are very good at hiding those things, but God knows it all. And one of the most wicked things that a person can do is to reject the offer of salvation from Jesus Christ. That's one of the most sinful and wicked things a person can do. The Bible says that because of the sin of Adam and Eve, sin passed on to all people and all people are separated by God from sin. Adam's sin spread to everyone and it brings death and condemnation, Romans 5 says. 
So everyone has condemnation, deserves judgment because of that sin that gets passed on from Adam. But not just that, also all of us are sinners and all of the wrong things that we do, are, it's treason against God. But then God went to these great lengths to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that he could be the sacrifice for our sin, so that he could live a perfect life and be that perfect, spotless, blameless sacrifice, take all of our sin onto him. And not only that, give us his righteousness, his perfect holiness, so that we could be before God perfect and holy and not deserving of judgment anymore. That's what God has done for us. He says in Romans 5.19, because one person disobeyed God, that's the first Adam, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And so this brings us to the word send in our question. How could a loving God send people to hell? Or maybe it'd be better to ask, how could a God who is love send people to hell? First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, rather, chapter one, verse seven says, and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who, listen to this, judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. The good news, what is that? That's the message of what I just shared, that Jesus came and he died for us as a sacrifice in our place so that he could take our sin and we could get his righteousness and we could become part of God's family and not need judgment or justice anymore. God has used that to make a way for us to not have the eternal punishment that every one of us deserves. Why? Because God knows the inner thoughts. He knows what's in the heart. He knows the evil motives and the intentions. And so God has gone to these great lengths to give us this opportunity to believe in Jesus. And yet he says here, he will bring judgment on those who what? Don't know God and refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And then he says this, they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So in a sense, is God sending people to hell? In a way, yes, he's, he's bringing judgment on those who have not accepted his gift of forgiveness, but you've gotta understand, they have also actively chosen to reject him. One of the greatest sins you can commit is to reject the gift of the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most wicked things that you can do. It may not seem that way to us. They're a good person. They just never believed in Jesus. They're a good person. They just never trusted in him. They never prayed to receive him as their savior, someone might say. But listen, it's the ultimate insult to God. It's one of the most wicked things you could do. God says, I will wipe away all your sins. I'll forgive everything that, that you've ever done. I'll give you the sinless perfection of my son because of his painful death on the cross for you. All those terrible things you've done or spoken or thought, I'm gonna wipe all that stuff clean and I'll place all those on the back of Jesus Christ and I'll give you his perfection so you can spend eternity with me in heaven. And some people say, no thanks. I'll pass. It's evil. It's hard to admit it, but it is. It's the sin of arrogance. I can do it on my own. I can make it on my own. It's the sin of idolatry. I need to be able to do whatever I want. I can be my own God. It's the sin of lust. I wanna live a life of pleasure and, and a lot of things that, that maybe God doesn't want me to do or doesn't want me to have, and I don't understand why, but I don't wanna do that. And so because of my arrogance and my idolatry and my lust, I refuse God's offer of salvation. And that's wickedness. 
And maybe we don't always see it in people, but God does. It's hard to admit because we love those people, but those people by their actions and by their rejection have hated God. Does God send people to hell? He brings judgment on those who've refused his offer, who choose not to believe in his offer of salvation. But the reality is those people are also making a choice. It's not just that God sends them to hell. I'm gonna pause here to invite a, a panel to come up and join me on stage because they're gonna dig deeper into this question with us. I, I haven't tried to cover everything in the message portion because I wanna let us tease this out in some discussion, hopefully maybe answer some questions that you might have along the way. But as they do that, as they get settled up here, I wanna read to you this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote about hell and people going to hell. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is opened. I think that's a great way to now turn to our panel and dive into some questions about the reality of a God who is love bringing judgment on people. So let's, let's dig in. And th first of all, thank you guys for being here today. This is a really tough question to dive into and, and some hard truths to accept even if it's hard to understand. So the first question that I'll ask, well first, let, let's go through and say who you are actually. Um, we didn't practice this, but I'm assuming all of you are good with sharing your name and, uh, <laughs> and, and maybe how long you've been at First Free Church. Let's start with Bob. Well, I'm Bob Richter. Um, Deb and I have been at First Free for about 17 years. Um, I've served on the elder board and we do premarital ministry. I'm Laura Malzahn and we have been attending First Free for uh, many years. I'm involved with a ministry uh, called Community Bible Study uh, that meets here at this church. And um, we uh, have four children, one husband, and uh, it's all good. I'm Todd Yeager, and uh, I've uh, been going to this church since I was single. So that tells you maybe how long I've been here. So I'm an elder here on, at the church. Awesome. Thank you all so much for being here today. I'm excited to talk more about this and dive into it. Let's just start with talking about why this is such a difficult question in the first place. Why is it hard for us to accept what the Bible teaches, that God is love, and yet there are some people who we may love who may experience eternal punishment in what we call hell. Why is that such a hard thing for us to understand and accept? You want me to take that? Please. All right. Well, because in my limited mind and my definition of love, it just doesn't make any sense why a loving God would send or allow somebody to go to hell. Um, when I think about that, I think about the fact that when Jesus was here, he taught forgiveness that we were supposed to forgive others or we couldn't be forgiven. As a matter of fact, he even talked to um, the Pharisee who asked the question, how many times should we forgive? He said, 
not seven times, but 70 times seven. So what I really think that I've come to believe, like Henry Blackaby uh, talks about in his book, Experiencing God, that we come to a crisis of belief, is that this issue demands a personal verdict for me on three points. The first point is, do I truly believe that the Bible is the infallible word and works of God? 2 Timothy 3.16 teaches us that um, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So if I've come to the point where I do believe that scripture is true, then the next verdict that I think I have to come to is, do I understand that it's really impossible for me to fully understand the depth and breadth of God's omniscience, his holiness, and his sovereignty? Um, 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, for who among people know the thoughts of a person except the spirit of that person? So also, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So I understand that God's ways are higher, more complicated than mine are ever going to be. And if I understand that, then I think the third verdict that I have to come to is, do I believe by faith and do I trust God that he doesn't want anyone to go to hell and that he gives everyone the opportunity to accept his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. John 3.16, we all know it, we've all seen it. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Psalm 68.20 says, God is to us a God of salvation and to God the Lord belongs ways of escape from death. And finally, the verse that um, I really think just rings home is 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God didn't plan, I don't think in his master plan, that he really planned for us to go to hell. I do think that he knew that Adam and Eve were gonna mess up. And actually, he planned a way of escape for us through Jesus Christ. And so if that's not love, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's a good point that God gives people time, and, and, and that's what 2 Peter uh, 3.9 is talking about, the extra time that God gives because he is loving, um, even towards those who are wicked, even towards those who are sinful. He wants to make it possible for them to be with him, but, but, but because of their sin, they can't be with him, and so they would have to be separated from him, which would, which would be a punishment in itself, as the Bible talks about. Any other reasons, Laura or Todd, why it would be hard for us to grapple with this question of, of God sending people to hell? And if not, that's fine, I'll move on. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing to think about. Yeah. 
separated from, from God, from all that is good, all that is pure, all that is right. It, it, none of us want to think about that. Right. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, our culture, more people believe in heaven than they believe in hell. Why is that? It comes from the same source. But it's just very challenging to believe that. Yeah, that's right. It, it is interesting. It's very clearly taught in Scripture, but um, many, many a Christian has, has because of their, maybe, well, I'll go out on a limb here and saying putting their ways higher than God's ways has said, but I don't want to believe in that. And even one of the early church fathers, Origen, wrestled with this for his whole life and ended up coming up with his theory that maybe eventually God would let everybody out of hell, despite what the Bible teaches. So I can understand and empathize with the difficulty of this question. Let's make it more personal. Have any of you wrestled with this question? And um, how have you grappled with the, the reality of maybe a personal uh, time where you've wondered how could God send people to hell? Yeah, I, I can go. Um, you know, many years ago, I was in ninth grade, I was in the living room with my dad. Uh, pastor came, he shared the gospel. And I had an opportunity to follow Christ. And I, I thought, this is, this is my chance. I'm going to follow Christ. And I remember my dad did not. You know, he had all these questions still. And you fast forward to last year, you know, my dad died. And I, and I struggled with, well, where was he in his, in his spiritual walk? Where, where was his heart? And I really came to the conclusion that, you know, God is sovereign and I am not. Um, when I, when I think about, you know, I can't drag people into heaven. I can't drag people into hell. God is sovereign. I am not. You think of Jesus on the cross. There's two men on his left and on his right that were dying as well. He had compassion for both. And one rejected him and the other accepted him and followed his grace even to the very, very end of his life. So I kind of cling to that hope. You know, I don't know where my dad's heart was, but I do cling to that hope. The scripture says that God wants all men to come to a saving knowledge of him. And I have that hope. The second thing is that really has helped me through this issue of, um, you know, just the idea of eternal uh, punishment or eternal life. Was, it's just the idea is when, when my dad died, other people came alongside me. They had compassion for me. All they did was ask questions, listen to me, and gently nudge me toward that knowledge that, hey, God is sovereign. You're not. It's in his hands. It's not yours. And that was a very comforting thought. That's good. Anybody else? The sovereignty of God is, is very important to remember. And it's one of those things, too, where we need to keep in mind that the enemy is so very powerful. He will seek and lie and take every possible chance to rob us of our peace. The truth that we have in Christ. And, and what I would say to people friends or anyone that has an issue with that is that the closer you stay to him, often I'll picture myself just even sitting next to him in his lap with my head on his, you know, knee, Jesus will help us with that. He will help us. And when we bring those things to him, uh, he will encourage us, you know, let me carry that, leave that with me. And I'm okay with that. He, he, he's encouraging that way. 
But all of us wrestle with that. With the, and it doesn't matter who we are or how far along we are in our faith or whatever the, the question is, is the enemy will seek to set some kind of a seed of doubt. God doesn't love you. You can't know. He doesn't want you. You know, your loved one isn't there. All of those things, it's, it's straight from the enemy. But Jesus says, I have taken care of that. You stay with me. You, you talk to me about that. And, and he'll give us that peace. He'll restore that. You know, I don't think I really, I'm not saying that I understand God really well now because there's always that mystery to it. But I, I will say I understand God so much better now that I have kids. Um, I don't think I ever understood a, a lot of things about God until I started to have kids. And I looked at them and I looked at their their ignorance, and I don't mean that in a negative way, they're just, they just are, you know? And they don't know certain things that I know and, and Laura, as you were sharing that, it made me, it made me think of the, the lies of the devil and the, the, the desire that we have to know more than we know. And it made me think about my kids. And uh, I think it was this last week, one of my kids got in trouble for something, and so they got a consequence for that. And the other, one of the other kids desperately wanted to know what they did that was wrong, but I wouldn't tell them. This is none of their business, <laughs> you know? This is between me and them, and they did something wrong, and so they're being punished. They have a consequence for that, and you don't need to know what that is, and that, that just, that's another one of those things that helps me to understand a little bit, you know, the perspective of God, how many times we, we don't know um, what sin is in other people's hearts, and so we, we have this difficulty in understanding why God could allow them to go to hell, a person that we think is good, and yet just like me with my kids, God is there saying, yeah, but you, you, I'm not gonna share all that with you. You know, that's between them and me and what they did wrong, and you may not fully understand that, and of course the enemy is gonna take that and use that as a wedge to say, see, you can't really trust God. See, he's not really loving, um, but the reality is it's just like a father um, who's not necessarily telling you everything you want to know. So thank you, for Laura, for bringing up the enemy and what the enemy does there. So what would you say to a person who is struggling with this issue and it's, it's what they bring up when they say, I can't trust in Jesus, I can't believe in God, or even if there is a God, I can't follow a God who says that he's love, but he sends people to hell. Uh, what, what, would, what kind of counsel would you give them if this is their hangup that's keeping them from following Jesus? Several years ago, Deb and I had to deal with this in our own family, and um, her dad and one of her brothers um, were not Christ followers, and um, on each of their deathbeds, um, they really told Deb uh, that they didn't want to talk about that. They didn't want to talk about heaven and hell. They didn't want to talk about God. Her brother was so arrogant that he even said to her, why would I want to go to heaven when all my friends are going to hell? At least he knew that there were only two places. What I would tell someone who's grappling with this issue is not to concentrate on hell. God isn't in the fire insurance business. He's not trying to scare us into thinking that the only way out of that is to somehow um, figure out how to work through it. He's really trying to give us a gift. And what he really wants is for 
us to have a personal relationship with him, one that goes deep, one that recognizes and realizes that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and provided a way of escape from hell. And as parents, we know that if our child is rebellious and disobedient and unrepentant, um, when they do wrong, they're gonna end up in a not great place. There are consequences for that. And what I would say is what parent wouldn't die to get their child in a better place? And that's exactly what God did for us through Jesus Christ. He let his son die on the cross so that we wouldn't have to pay that eternal price. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on someone who is saying, this is why I won't follow Jesus? That, that's a tough one because I think before you can really get into some of these issues with people, you need to have a relationship with them. Mm. So perhaps there are people in our lives that we need to acknowledge, you know what, I need to, I need to choose to get to know them a little bit better. They're struggling. I, I have been given something that I understand, God's word, I, I understand the truth about who God is, and they don't. I need to work on that relationship. So once you have that relationship and you have a friend who's struggling with this issue, I think it's okay to, to talk to them. A lot of people, I think, rebel against that because it's just, oh, they, they. But when it's your friend, when it's someone you have a relationship, you have the right to talk. Let's, let's be honest and, and uh, respectfully, you know, acknowledge where, where does this resistance come from? A am I accusing God of, of being unfair? Well, what is it that you want him to do? Does it stem from the fact that we want to be in charge, that, that we want to be the one that calls the shots to be in control? And God says, that's why I gave you a choice. I love you. I want a relationship with you. You can choose. Well, what, what if I don't fit the mold? What if, what if I don't fit in? You know, all these people that claim to be Christians, I don't think like them. I don't look like them. And God says that a relationship with me is available to anyone, anyone who comes to me. Well, it's not fair because I, I don't know the rules. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. God says, I have given you my very word Every answer to every question is found in this book. And, and you can find, you can find the truth about who I am, about what you want to know. Well, it's not fair because I don't, I don't think I have the strength. I don't have the ability. And God says, you don't need to. That's why I did it for you. I went to the cross. I paid the penalty. I took the sin that you committed upon myself so that you wouldn't have to. What I did on the cross fulfilled every requirement. 
and you, you don't need to be afraid that, that there's anything left to do. And it's just, I, I, you know, having that relationship where you can discuss the truth about the gospel, I think is the key issue. Yeah, you bring up a really good uh, point, which is that probably there are a lot of people who are watching this either in here or online who are thinking, well, I, maybe I don't struggle with this personally, but I know someone who is, and, and I wanna be able to share with them. And so really, we're kind of speaking to two different groups of people here, probably. There's, there's maybe some people that are really wondering, hey, how, how could a loving God send people to hell? And the ones that submitted the question may really legitimately be asking that and wanting to understand it at a better level. Um, and then there's the people who are asking for a friend, which would have been a great name for this series. We should have put it asking for a friend because then you could submit whatever question you want. No, 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 it's not me. I'm just asking for a friend. But anyway, for, for the people who are out there and are really wondering, how do I reconcile this um, it, because it's keeping me from trusting in Jesus, what I would say to you is that if you read the Gospels and you read how Jesus approached people who weren't ready to believe in him yet, he did not give them a theology test before they could become his follower. He, he said, follow me, long before he said, who do you say that I am? Which is very interesting, we forget about that. There's this two and a half, three year process there where there are all these people who are following him, but they don't really know everything about him. They, they, don't, they, couldn't, they couldn't get a seminary degree at this point. Um, and so I think it's interesting that there's more of a process to this and a journey to this than sometimes we acknowledge. And I would just challenge someone who is wrestling with this issue personally to uh, give Jesus a shot. Try him on for a month. And, and I, I'm not saying that you can try salvation. What I'm saying is read the Gospel of Mark. Get to know Jesus. Start to live your life based on his teachings. Follow him for a while and see what that does. See if that helps you understand it better. See if that helps you to, to wrestle with it more. See if God works in your life by giving that a shot. I think too often we, we want people to just go ahead and, and sign away their eternal destination um, on, a, on a moment's notice, and that's not what Jesus did. Jesus gave people time. So, so check it out. I don't think you have to necessarily just say it's all or nothing today, although it'd be great if you went all in today, but if you're not ready for that, and if this is what's holding you back, then start to follow Jesus, and over time, I believe he will show you this is what is true. You can accept this. You can believe this, even though it's hard, and then for those people, like Laura mentioned, who are, who may have friends that they're, that they're sharing with, I think you hit on a really key point, which is that relationship. Um, there's gotta be that relationship of trust. And you know, it's, it's sad how many people would answer if they were asked, why don't you believe in Jesus? It's because of the interaction I've had with Christians. That's a really sad thing. People who say they follow Jesus are the reason I don't follow Jesus today. That's a really sad thing. And so we've gotta make sure that our testimony and our witness is something that is, is gonna point people to God and, and make them want to trust in God instead of drive them away. Now, with that said, our failures and our faults, I mean, let's be clear, all of us up here are sinners and broken people. And so there's no way that we can be perfect enough to, to say, see, this is what happens when you give your life to Jesus, you're gonna be absolutely perfect. Not at all, uh, but we certainly don't want to um, make matters worse by driving people away from him. Any thoughts on that, Todd? I haven't heard from you in a little while. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> No, I just think, you know, it's, it's a very hard topic. And one of the things I'll just add is that when, when we have these thoughts or we, when other people have these thoughts, I think it's a, it's a good thing. It's, it's, it's an active 
listening. It's an act of thinking. It's an act of faith. So if you have Christ in your life and you're still thinking these things, it's good. It, it means you're actively involved in wrestling with the issues of God, and that's a good thing. Yeah, that is, that is a really good thing. Final word, anything else you want to share about the issue of God and eternal punishment? Well, I think that uh, the punishment that, that uh, is, is received in hell is, is not about a category of sin or the amount that a person sins. The only reason somebody ends up in hell is, is because of what they have done with the truth of the gospel. It's about whether or not you have said yes to Jesus Christ. He, as we said, as we discussed, he paid the price for our sin. He covered our sin uh, with his death on the cross, and he holds that out as a free gift. And all we need to do is say yes. The Holy Spirit will help us to understand. The details will come into focus as we continue to move on and, and move forward in faith. But the bottom line is whether or not we accept the truth about who Jesus is found in his word. Yeah. Amen. Just take the gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that goes back to 2 Thessalonians 1.8, which says God brings judgment on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And I think that's really a good place to end our discussion today. Now, I want to acknowledge that we probably did not answer every question that could be out there on this issue because this is something that's been debated by theologians and scholars and everyday Christians and other people for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but I do want to let you know that if you have any questions or follow-up or want to dig into this a little further, you can feel free to come up to any one of us and, and ask us more. We'd be glad to talk with you about it. And there are still aspects of this question um, that, that I wrestle with, and I'm not sure I fully understand at this point. I mean, we can, we can say we're going to trust in God's Word and believe what it says about God, but there are still things that, in our finite understanding, it's hard for us to, to fully grasp. And that is where um, I come down on the side ultimately of I'm gonna trust in God and what he says and trust that his ways are higher and that maybe, maybe if there's something I don't understand, it's because I don't have all the information yet. And I look forward to that day when I will know as I've been fully known and I think God is gonna pull back the curtain and we're gonna realize a lot of things we never understood before and go, oh, that's why you were doing that, God. Okay, I understand now. That's what faith is all about. It's believing that God knows what he's doing even if we can't understand it. So we have to choose to have faith in him even though there are certain things that we may not understand or, or be able to comprehend um, until we get to be with him in eternity and he, Lord willing, reveals a lot of things to us. So as we close today, we're not gonna have a final song. Um, we would love for you to take this conversation further. And there is a discussion guide on our website at efree.org slash discussion where you can go to get several questions to dive into this topic a little bit more. I'm not naive enough to think that we have now solved this issue for the human race. There's probably a lot more to figure out, and sometimes the value is in those conversations that happen after the service with your family, with your small group, with your kids, your friends, whatever it may be. So go grab that discussion guide, and that will help you to have a deeper conversation. 
Um, also, if you have follow-up questions, like I said, feel free to come up and see us after the service. Come up and see me um, at your own risk. I'll have a mask on. And you can also email at pastor@efree.org, and uh, we'd be happy to interact with you that way. If you want to give to support the ministry of First Free Church, you can do that at efree.org slash give, and that's an act of obedience for us to God. Um, we're supposed to be giving and supporting his work and his ministry in this world, so I encourage you to do that. If you haven't already and you're a regular attender here, I encourage you to send up a regular gift that would come in. You can do that through efree.org slash give, and that way it'll happen um, every, every, whatever frequency you choose. That's what my wife and I do. And the last thing I'll share is... Um, we, have, we would love to pray for you today, so if you wanna come up and, and receive prayer, please feel free to do that. Also, if you're online right now, and there's a lot of people online, you can go to efree.org slash prayer and submit a prayer request there. would love to pray for you. Let me just close out our time in prayer and, and ask, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us um, an extra measure of faith. I'm reminded of the man who says, Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief. And uh, God, I'm sure there are people that wrestle with this issue. That's why it was asked. I'm sure there are people that wrestle with this issue and struggle uh, with trusting in you and yet not fully being able to understand the, the realities of eternal punishment and, and wishing there could be some other way. And we just have to trust that you have come up with the best way and um, that this is necessary and essential and that you are doing this um, out of your love because you are love and you are just and that this is justice. And I, I pray that what we've talked about today will really help people to, to come to some good conclusions about that in their mind, that it'll help put some of those things at ease, the fact that you know our inner thoughts and you know the evil is inside and, and who can know the heart of different people except for you and that everything you do is just and fair, um, but God, I pray that you would help us more importantly to focus on how you want us to live and interact with other people on this earth as your representatives here, God. So help us to follow you well, even if there are aspects of theology that we don't fully understand, Lord, help us to keep the main thing the main thing and to trust in Jesus and to live every day as a follower of his and to grow closer to you and introduce more people to you and the freedom and the healing and the salvation that is found only in you. So I pray your blessing on everyone who is here in this room, everyone who's watching online as we go out into the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week for another interesting question. Have a great week.